Chapter Ten of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: Two Old Enemies. Lone Wolf recognized the taunt of his old enemy, and his black eye lit up with a gleam of fire and passion. He would not turn his back upon his white foe, who had just sent a bullet in quest of his heart. He would accept the gauge of battle, and end his personal warfare of years. But like all Indians, the chieftain was the personification of treachery, without a particle of chivalry or manhood, and when he resolved upon his attempt to destroy the frontiersmen, it was without any regard for the fairness of the means which he should employ. He handed the boy to one of the warriors sitting near him, as of course he could do nothing when impeded by his presence, although he had proved very convenient some time before in the way of a shield. Then he said something to a dozen or so of the warriors immediately around him. The main body remained comparatively motionless, while the chief rode out in advance and headed toward his antagonist, his horse upon a slow walk and moving with great caution. Such Simpson was not to be caught napping. No one understood the sneaking character of Lone Wolf better than did he. He had had it back and forth with him too many times not to be able to read the fellow through and through. While the leader was coming forward in this cautious manner, he saw several other horsemen in motion. Their direction was not the same as their leader. They appeared to be riding further back upon the prairie as though they had been sent upon some errand to a distant point but sut knew what it meant they meant to steal away until they were out of sight when they would come around behind him there were enough to surround him completely and cut off his escape in any direction sut saw all this and was not surprised thereat he believed that he was too old a bird to be caught with such chaff the manner in which he could defeat the purpose of lone wolf was by direct fight or by forcing him into a combat which would anticipate the intention of the Apache. He preferred the latter course, and he made the effort, in the common Indian way, by uttering a taunt, still using the Apache tongue. "'Lone Wolf is a coward and a dog. He is afraid of the white hunter. He stays by his warriors that they may hold his head when his heart grows faint at the sight of his pale-faced foe.' Anyone who understands the temper of an Indian will see that such a taunt as this was of the most exasperating nature. It rankled deeply in the heart of Lone Wolf, who would have given a dozen of his best warriors for the chance of burying his tomahawk in the skull of his foe. But he was too cunning to be misled by his desire for revenge. He, too, indulged in a little of the taunting business himself and as the hunter had honored him by speaking in the Apache tongue, he threw himself, so to speak, in English. The white hunter is afraid of Lone Wolf. He dreads his scalping knife. His heart trembles, and he knows not where to hide himself. He does not hide from Lone Wolf, for he has hunted days and nights to find him, and when Lone Wolf saw him coming, he ran among his warriors and hid. He is not among them now, retorted Lone Wolf. While he seeks Sut Simpson, the brave hunter moves away. 
Such was really the case. Judged from a superficial standpoint, the greatest show of courage was made by the Apache, whose horse was moving forward at a slow, cautious pace, while the mustang of Sut Simpson kept up a continued and equally guarded retreat, so that the distance between the two taunting enemies remained about the same. The hunter had a manifest purpose in this, which was simply to draw his foe far enough away from his support to gain a chance for a sudden dash at him before he could elude him. At the same time, he did not forget the dozen horsemen that had stolen out so cautiously from the rear, and he knew that if it were done, then twere well it were done quickly, as Macbeth so aptly puts it. Sut carefully measured the intervening space with his eye, but Lone Wolf was still too near his reserve. The two men were eyeing each other like cats, and although he taunted so loudly, yet no one would have been readier than the Apache to flee if he believed that he was in greater peril than his antagonist. "'Why does not Lone Wolf move faster?' asked Sut, hoping to spur him into doing so. "'Why does not the hunter wait for him?' asked the chief very appropriately in return. The scout thought that if he could draw the savage a few yards further he would have him just where he wanted him. Feeling how precious the passing time was, he galloped his mustang a rod or so, and then came to a sudden abrupt halt. "'Here I'll await you, you old copper-skinned hoodlum,' he called out in unmistakable English. Lone Wolf did not check his speed, nor, on the other hand, did he hasten it. Let alone he was sure to reach the proper point in due time, but the trouble was that Sut had no time to spare. The dozen horsemen who were making their circuit must have accomplished considerable of it already, and would soon be closing in around him. The hunter had been caught in just such predicaments many a time before, and had managed to pull through without material injury, but no brave man who was possessed of ordinary sense would willingly allow himself to be drawn into such a trap. The Apaches were as good riders as he, and a shot that would disable his horse would play mischief with the rider. He wished to avoid any such snarl, and so he dallied and trifled with his adversary in the hope of trolling him along to a point where he could hold him, while the Indian continued his advance like one whose only purpose was to hold his man until the other warriors could close in behind him. The moment speedily came, when it would not have been best to wait a second longer. Wheeling his horse with the suddenness of lightning, Simpson charged at full speed straight at Lone Wolf. The latter was surprised by the movement, but he was not thrown off his guard, nor did he seek to fall back on his reserves. It would be time enough to do that when he should become convinced of its necessity, besides which he had only to keep the hunter engaged for a brief time in order to give his horsemen the chance to entrap him. Bearing in mind the deceitful character of the chief, Sut waited until he was within a short distance when he wheeled and let drive with a couple chambers of his revolver. Lone Wolf went over the side of his mustang so suddenly that the hunter believed that he had been killed, but as he checked himself before reaching the ground he saw his mistake, and knew that the savage's reply would be forthcoming on the instant. Accordingly Sut followed suit, and interposed the body of his mustang like a flash between himself and the redskin. He was not a wink too soon. Just as he went over he caught the flash and heard the report of a pistol. The chief had fired from beneath the neck of his steed with his revolver, 
for Lone Wolf carried his revolver like any other gentleman of the plains. This was complicating matters so much that the hunter determined to force conclusions without a moment's delay. There was no use of firing at the Indian as long as he was protected by his horse. He was too cunning to be caught napping. So without a particle of hesitation, Sut threw the muzzle of his rifle beneath the neck of his steed and fired straight at the one which was sheltering his adversary. The shot was fatal, and with a frenzied leap the animal stumbled forward upon his neck and fell dead in his tracks. Nimble Lone Wolf threw himself as quick as a flash from beneath the falling body, and, conscious of his disadvantage, started on a run for the main body of warriors. But Sut, with extraordinary shrewdness, had anticipated this very thing, and, assisted by the intelligence of his animal, he threw himself ahead of him so as to shut off the flight in that direction. Everything now went with bewildering swiftness. The Apaches, seeing their chief environed, rode forward to his assistance, while the hunter, revolver in hand, blazed away at him, determined to bring him to earth, now that he had the chance. The activity of Lone Wolf was simply marvelous. He darted here and there, dodged back and forth, and once or twice actually shot beneath the belly of his adversary's mustang. His antics were confusing, and although Sut succeeded in wounding him, it seemed utterly impossible to disable him. The hunter had already discharged his rifle when he slew the horse, and when he emptied his revolver he was chagrined, furious, and baffled. "'I believe you're the devil himself!' he exclaimed, ceasing his efforts to bring him down. "'And I'll let you go this time!' He turned to flee, when he saw that the Apaches were all around him. End of chapter 10 Read by Thomas Rose